Welcome to Grief Matters, a podcast where we talk about matters related to grief and why talking about grief matters. Episode 2, The Loss of a Child. Welcome to Episode 2 of Grief Matters. I feel super honored and privileged today to introduce my second guest, Amanda Mon. She resides in Missoula, Montana, and we actually met on Instagram, which was super divine in a lot of ways. We connected over her experience losing her son, who was named Harrison, at 17 to suicide. And we were having a conversation about how hard it is to find support after someone loses someone they love tremendously, especially a child, in a tragic way. And she was sharing her experience about how she was just, I don't want to use the word invaded, but in a way, like, swarmed with support by so many people. And she wanted to hop on and share her experience of support as well as her experience around a very, very, very tragic grief and loss situation in her life. So, hi, Amanda. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Good. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about your story. Um, start wherever you like and just share with us about your son, Harrison, and the story of how you lost him in such a tragic and um, unexpected way. Yeah, sure. Harrison was my oldest son, and um, he was a gifted musician and he was a gifted mathematician and like a lot of gifted kids he had a little bit of a hard time interacting with other kiddos but never so much adults and he was a little bit awkward and he was a little bit geeky and I remember when he made the transition to high school he I was worried you know socially but he had kind of made it and so he was involved in jazz band and he was taking classes at the local university and me as mom I thought things were going really really well until I came home and found him on a Thursday afternoon and he had taken his own life. Um, my husband was out of town and I was home with my younger son. We'd just come home from school and that's when our lives changed when we lost Harrison. I'm so sorry for what has happened to you and to your entire family. Amanda, and I know this is a super difficult thing to talk about, even though I know you're in a somewhat different place than you were when it first happened. I'm sure yeah. that recalling this is, is never an easy experience for you. I do it quite a lot because I would like to help other people, other mothers, other families. So any chance I get, I do talk about it um, or I write about it sometimes or I post it on social media because I feel like part of not having the conversation makes parents feel more alone. Um, and this isn't, a, this shouldn't be a lonely time and it shouldn't be a shameful time. It should be a time of grief and remembering your, your loved one. Absolutely. So I, I try as much as possible to talk about it as much as possible. Well, that's very, it's very impressive. And I don't want to say you're strong because I hate when people say that because it, nobody can be quote unquote strong in these kind of situations, but it's very generous of you to be willing to re recount that repeatedly to help others. You know, tell me a little bit about what we were talking about right before we hopped on, which was that with your son, you knew that he was highly intelligent. You knew that he had a community of friends and that even in looking back, there really were no signs that he was having a difficult time. Is that right? Yeah, there weren't. Um, as a teacher, I know a lot about gifted students, and of course, 
were trained in suicide signs and all those kinds of health issues. Um, Harrison was a quintessential gifted child in that he was highly intelligent. He needed very little repetition to learn something. He was very black and white. Um, that morning was a normal morning. The only odd thing about the morning was he rinsed out his breakfast bowl. Oh, he was, um, <laughs> nothing, nothing else was, nothing else was odd. I dropped him off. It was not odd at all. Um, there were no signs to me that he was in, that he was desperate. And that must be so hard, not only as a mother, but someone who's in a profession of knowing those kinds of signs. I mean, how has it been for you to cope that and, and accept that not only were there no signs, but that you didn't see any visible signs that he was suffering? At first, I think it was like so many mothers that are suicide loss survivors. It was very hard for me to understand that I didn't see it because this is your child you are supposed to be able to make things better, whether it's owies or bullies or school schedules. And it was really difficult. And then probably a month into grieving, I knew I was not going to know the answer. I was not going to be able to have any kind of answer from Harrison. And it was difficult to come to that realization and also slightly freeing that I didn't have to keep questioning myself because there wasn't going to be an end to the questioning anyway. That's a, that's a very, that's a very valid and reasonable thing to come to. And it also takes away what we like to believe we have in life and death, right? Which is the idea that we're somehow in control. Right. And as a, as a mother and a teacher and type A personality control is a big one. Sure. Sure. So it was, it was, it was, it was very difficult. Um, the first months were the most difficult of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, um, what did you do to even, I mean, were you able to get out of bed? What did you do to even be able to function? I mean, because just even the idea of finding your son after having completed suicide, I mean, you had mentioned your other child was with you as well. I mean, that in and of itself is a traumatic, obviously traumatic shock to you. And then the days and weeks after where he wasn't coming back, how did you even function on any level at that time? Yeah, partly, and I was just talking to my husband about this yesterday, partly it was that we had a younger son. My younger son's name is Joshua, and he was in seventh grade at the time, so I guess that would have made him about 12. I knew that he still deserved a functional parent mm -hmm. and I knew that my husband still deserved a functional spouse. So some days really the goal was have pants on mm -hmm. or get dressed. Um, also we were in the position where Harrison was very well known. Um, we live in a small ish, you know, city for a large Montana city, but a small city for other places. We're both teachers and we had an outpouring of support that, most people in our situation don't have. Um, and we had new people that knew the resources to get us in touch with. So I believe we met with our grief counselor. It was before Harrison's celebration of life. So it was days. So you got the help you needed, 
not only in the weight of a community that was completely supportive, which is a beautiful thing to hear, but also you got yourself help immediately and were willing to right. do that work. I knew I wouldn't be functional and I knew I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. I knew that I couldn't, I didn't have, I did not have the coping skills to cope with this loss without someone helping me with the steps of what to do. And what would you say to somebody out there who has lost a child in either by suicide or any, for any reason that still feels like they should be strong enough to handle it on their own or that they are too scared to go talk about it because they fear it might make it worse. What is some advice you have for them in bridging that gap and being willing to get the help and support that they need? I guess two things. The first thing is it will not be the worst day of your life. You've lived that day. You survived that night. So actually talking to someone else is won't be the worst day of your life. But what it will be is you able to talk to someone and say all of those things, as many or as few that you want to say, someone to hear you and someone to help you with next steps. Because myself, I didn't know what the next step was. I didn't know what the next thing to do was. I didn't know so much that someone on the outside could see. I couldn't see that because I was, all I could see was grief. Right. And an end to anything you had ever anticipated that your life would be, I'm guessing. Correct. No one, I, I mean, I assume it's very few people that think that this is the path of their child. Right. And one of the things we talked about on Instagram, and again, I was so happy to hear that you didn't have that experience, was that when something really tragic happens, like suicide or murder or an accident or, you know, something that we just don't want to think is even possible, a lot of times people around you turn away. And you were, you had this beautiful opposite experience. And so I want to hear a little bit more about how that community support actually has impacted your grief process. And also, what did people do that helped? Because there's definitely going to be people listening to this going like, my friend's son completed suicide and I don't know what to say. So anything you can tell us that helped, that actually made a substantial difference to help people out there know what to do in these situations? Sure. I guess let's talk about the first one first. Like, days after we lost Harrison, his band teacher got a vigil going on the University of Montana campus Oval where they played songs that Harrison would have played. And we had a candlelight vigil. Um, the choir sang for Harrison on the steps of Hellgate High School in Missoula, Montana on the Friday after he died. Um, the school was open about it. His friends were open about it. Um, we had candles and cards and flowers left on the doorstep of our house. Um, we had people that taught Harrison at the university send cards and say, Hey, I thought your kid was brilliant. He could do math. Like I've never seen someone do math. Um, my colleagues, my husband and I work at the same middle school. Our colleagues covered every class student, um, you name it, they did it. Um, we had a community that fed us that cried with us, that held our hands, that got as many people involved. Harrison 
raise so much money on GoFundMe because he meant something to people. And that was amazing. Um, as far as what to do for someone that's in my situation, the thing to say is I'm so sorry, not platitudes. Um, show up with a pizza. We had a family that still is unknown to us that did the 12 days of Christmas for us. Harrison died November 5th, and we had a family that we only know as the Elf Squad leave us little gifts with little notes for the 12 days of Christmas because they knew how hard it would be. We still, to this day, don't know who they are. Um, but as you can imagine, Christmas was very, very, very difficult that year. But we do have another son, and he deserves a normal life, as normal as we can give him, as normal as possible. Absolutely. Um, so we had a lot of support. We had a lot of community support. We had a lot of family support. I would also say get that safe person or those safe persons. My sister intercepted I don't know how many phone calls and a very good friend that we have. I mean, I, rem I remember going to the funeral home slightly, but she made all the programs. She ordered all of the, the large photos we needed for Harrison's celebration of life. Um, those safe people that you can go to their house in your pajamas mm -hmm. and you can sleep on their sofa because you don't want to be alone. And, and that's fine. The safe people are really important because they're going to be unsafe people. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to just say that everything I hear you saying is what I hear repeatedly that platitudes don't work. Nobody wants to hear he's in a better place. Nobody wants to hear this is God's will. Nobody wants to hear no. he was in pain. This is no. not the way that Amanda nor her husband nor her son wanted their lives to go. This was not their choice. This was not their plan. And so saying those things to people is actually harmful and dismissive of their pain. And it's harmful. It's dismissive. And it, I just think, yeah, it just, it, it's, it's just a no. It's just a class. It's just an absolute no. That's right. And it doesn't mean those people that do that, or even if you've done that, that you're bad or wrong. It's just that you didn't know. And that's why we do these podcasts. That's why we do it. That's why Amanda puts her life out on the line on social media and those places, because she wants to help other people know that. The other things I heard were like, bring food, have a safe space to lie down, you know, do the stuff that they can't do, which is make programs, make, you know, reservations, do those things, give them a Christmas or whatever holidays they, you know, they're celebrating. So those seem like very sound, helpful things. And they're from someone who actually knows how it feels to be in this space. So the, the other thing that um, just came up while you were sharing that, and I wasn't planning on talking about this, but this makes me think that this is really divine and that your son is working through you is that, you know, my birthday is November 5th and the chances of that, you know, us just randomly meeting when there's millions of people on Instagram and you reaching out and the actual date of your son's death was on the day I was born. Um, and again, not about me, but just like that sort of sign that, you know, we're in the right place, sending this message to the right people, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense to me. Harrison and I often had, conversations that he thought I was too oh emotional you know I was I was too this and I was too that and 
occasionally he would call me ridiculous. Um, so anything <laughs> having to do with numbers and math, I find a little bit of a chuckle when things kind of appear to be that way because he would just be super dismissive about it. <laughs> Even though that was his area of expertise, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. He would laugh and tease you all at the same time. So yeah. that's, so the other thing I wanted to sort of talk to you about was you had something really brilliant that you shared before we started. You were sharing about, you know, I asked you, of course, like there are some days you still don't want to go forward. I'm guessing, even though it's been a little over three years. And yes. if you could just share with the, the the listeners what you shared with me, I think it was super, super helpful about high grief and low grief. Yeah, sure. Um, we lost Harrison three years ago, November, this November 5th. So this grief process, and I call it a journey, is moving into the fourth year. And I look at it as I have kind of, a baseline grief that's every day living without your child and doing the best that you can. And then I have considerable spikes um, where I have high grief and those days are still, and I'm assuming always will be very hard. The days that you have to dig really deep or the days that you give yourself a pass to, you know, stay home and, and, you know, stay in bed. Um, I think as long as it's one day and it doesn't reach into a week, then I think it's okay sometimes to give you a, yourself a pass on those high grief days or you don't go to the birthday party or you can't go to the, I don't know, concert. Um, sometimes we think we're going to be normal, but you're not going to be what you were before. You're going to be a new normal and it's, a grief highlighted normal. And it sounds like you've really sort of accepted probably because there maybe weren't any other options. Although there could be, you could be drinking, you could be, you know, leaving sure. your family, you could be doing all kinds of things. It sounds like you've sure. really accepted the fact that this is just part of what your life is going to be now instead of trying to make it better. Um, and, and, and I also want to hear what you have to say about, you said something really important. You said, let yourself stay in bed for a day, but if it starts to feel like a week, so like, how do you keep yourself from letting a day turn into a week? Yeah. One of my worst fears when I started this grief journey was that I would be the person that was either bitter or 500 pounds and a moo-moo at Target. Sure. Um, that I would let everything go. Um, and probably about a year after we lost Harrison, I realized I'm Harrison's legacy. He doesn't have a legacy that he can keep on this earth. It's, it's me and it's his dad and it's his brother and it's his friends. And that's my job. Um, I have to get up. I have to keep going. He would expect it and I owe it to him. Um, so that's what keeps me from being in bed for a week. That and the fact that I couldn't stop Harrison. I didn't see the signs. If there were signs, maybe there weren't. But I can affect kids' lives. I'm a teacher, and they expect and deserve this, the best me I can have to. So that's what keeps me not in bed for a week. I'll take a day, sure. Um, uh, I kind of know when the spikes are going to happen. They're usually around really important days for Harrison, like birthdays, um, 
holidays. The summertime is really hard for me when I'm not teaching every day. And I know that those times I have to kind of swing into a different coping than the day-to-day coping. Absolutely. And it, you know, it sounds like not only the continued relationship you still have with your son, we talk about continuing to have a relationship with someone after they depart. You have a commitment to that relationship by showing up to be his legacy and that you have a commitment to the relationships of the students that you teach to continue to show up. And that, that's, that's maturity and it's beautiful. You know, so many people just stop living. I've seen it. And it's not that it's not understandable. Of course, we could both understand why they stopped living. Uh, but I love that idea that you still have a commitment to your son and to that relationship that still continues because you are what he has. For sure. And I think also the fact that I have a son. Joshua is now 15. He's a sophomore at Hellgate High School where his brother went to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has every right benefit of having as normal of life as possible with as normal of circumstances as we can provide in this highly abnormal Mm -hmm. new normal of grief. He, you know, he deserves, he deserves that too. And not just to be this, the brother of someone who died to be his own person as well. He needs his own person and he needs a mother. That's his mom. Right. Not just, Harrison's mom. Well, and it's amazing too, because he's also learning how to grieve and how to live a life with disappointment and hurt in a mature, positive way from the way you and your husband are coping, which is a, is an amazing thing to impart as well. You know, um, I know we didn't want to go too much over a certain amount of times. We want to be conscious of people's busyness and time. But I did want to ask one last thing. Uh, Well, two last things. First, if there's someone out there who literally just lost their child and they they just want to die, they don't care, they don't want to live anymore, they don't see a point, what is it that you can say to them that might speak to them at this time? I would say that you're, you, you are worth it. Um, you're on a really hard journey. I, I totally get it. I thought I would die the first, I thought, I literally thought I would die the first night. I, I thought I would not wake up. Um, but you're worth it. And I would get in touch with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention because there are local chapters that have people like me that have lived what you're living. And we would love to be able to help you. We would love to be able to talk to you and see what we can do for you because we unfortunately understand. Thank you for saying that. And how can they get in touch? Just go to the website? Um, If you go to the website, yeah, their website has a lot of information, but one of them are for survivors um, and they can get you in touch with someone in your area that is someone who has survived what you're surviving. And these are volunteers that know exactly how you feel. They might not know the exact relationship you have with your child, but they know right. how it feels to lose a child in this way. So please reach yes. out if you're suffering. And you can't—you right. really can't do it alone. That's what I hear Amanda no. saying. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, Amanda, is just what did you want to share either about this experience that is important to you or your son or anything that you felt you wanted to be able to say in this space for others to be able to hear? I guess the most important thing is you're just not alone. If you're suffering, 
whether you have lost someone or you are in the space that my son was in and he felt like he could not reach out to someone, um, we need to have open communication about mental health. If you're feeling low, if you're feeling like you want to take your life, you're not worth living, we need to be better as a society of having those conversations with people. I don't know if having a conversation with someone would have changed Harrison's course or not, but I know that there's help available. I just don't think we always know what is available. And I think the stigma might keep people from getting help. Thank you for saying that, Amanda. And I hope, and no, I don't hope, I know that this is going to be so helpful to so many people and in line with Amanda's mission to be of service to as many people as possible who are coping with this tragic, tragic situation. And I hope so. So honored to have you here. So grateful you took a time on your busy Sunday to do this conversation with me and to trust us and, you know, the audience and me with your very, very important story and Harrison's legacy, of course. And I definitely will be thinking about him every year now on my birthday, which is a promise. So thank you for tuning in to episode two of Grief Matters. We will be back soon with other podcasts on lots of different matters related to grief. And again, thank you for listening.